0: Except with Chris not being here, I'm not bellied up to a bar. But I am still going to bring you 30 minutes of socks in the basement. And my name is Ed. As you may have seen if you follow Chris on Twitter, he is saying that he caught COVID. However, I think it's just a cover and you can choose to believe what you like. Either he's sick or, or he's hiding out in Jerry Reinsdorf's closet to find out what the owners plan on finally giving the players when we get back to the negotiation table so in the meantime though socks in the basement as always brought to you by the fine folks at family waterproofing family waterproofing can keep your house dry in fact your house shouldn't even just be doing a dry january if you're doing that it should be dry year round give them a call 708-330-4466 and they will be more than happy to come out and take a look to make sure that your foundation's in good repair that there's not going to be any water issues come spring. And they can do things like your window wells and gutters and things like that as well. Give them a call or visit familydry.com and tell them Socks in the Basement sent you. So one of the beautiful things about our new partnership with Socks on 35th is that if one of us goes down, either for espionage purposes or because we can't talk because of a loathsome disease, uh we do get to bring in some of the guys from socks on 35th to kind of help us out and still be able to talk white socks with you and of course go to socks on 35th.com for all of your white socks content needs there's some great articles on there every single day there's new material and you can of course listen to socks in the basement at socks on 35th.com joining me today to help me out as the editor-in-chief of socks on 35th jordan lazowski how are you my friend
1: you know, I'm doing better than Chris. Apparently, no, no matter what it happens to be, I, I think it's serious enough that, you know, he he's uh decided that I gotta fill in for him for the day. So whether it's espionage or an actual sickness, it's clearly very serious for him.
0: Yeah, he doesn't uh, he doesn't miss shows for anything less than sitting on a beach. So, um, <laughs> so uh, let's uh let's jump into something that Sox on thirty fifth tweeted out last night, and that was. You guys are looking for people to tell you what your ideal all-time Sox rotation is. What parameters are you guys looking for for that? Because I was thinking about it. You could have, you know, there's been some really good pitchers that have thrown not even a full season for the White Sox in the past. And then you've got, uh, you know, obviously your all-time, your, your ring of honor, the guys whose numbers are retired and things like that. So what, what for you do you look for when you're saying an all-time rotation for a team?
1: You know, I I was trying to put together my list for this, and it's very hard. And I think fans kind of took it from the standpoint of, you know, the best players to play in that uniform, maybe regardless of how long they were in it. I took maybe a different approach to it. I took two different lists. I made two different lists. I made one of players that I've actually seen. So this is like the last 15 years. So this is not an extensive list by any means. The second one was more of a statistical measures type list. So I looked at players who had thrown at least 700 innings with the White Sox. That's about the top 50 pitchers. And just kind of did a very simple ranking system of strikeouts, ERA, ERA+, wins, and then both baseball and fangraphs, wins above replacement, and basically said, hey, you ranked first, you got five points, for, or second, you got four, and so on and so forth. From there, I settled on my list as well. But that, that's more of a statistical list. Versus the ones of the players I've seen, so no, no real criteria for doing it. And you'll see if you look through some of those comments, a, a lot of the fans were just like, "Hey, you know, it, it's a combination of old and new, and some of the best names I've seen and some of the best names I've heard were amazing." So,
0: well, yeah, because I was thinking about like a guy like Tom Seaver, right? And here's here is one of the best pitchers <laughs> in MLB history, but he really he has you know the one season at the end of end of his career. Uh, you know, he's not with the Sox for long at all and gets his 400th win though so you know you're sitting there saying if it's just somebody who's ever worn the uniform i I would certainly want to include a guy like that but if you're talking about guys that really really made a contribution to this team then yeah it is it's got to be a completely different list so who's on your all-time if you're saying just guys that threw the 700 innings
1: so if you're looking at for more of a statistical list i I, I went with ed walsh red faber Ted Lyons, Billy Pierce, and Eddie Seacott. And I think if you look through some of the lists that fans were putting together, I I think Walsh, Lyons, and Pierce were all very common names. I think just outside of those top five, fell a guy like Mark Burley, even fell a guy like Chris Sale. I I think we underappreciate some of the value Sale brought uh, in in terms of all time numbers. But those five names really separated themselves from a statistical measure of saying, hey, these are guys who have pitched a lot among the top 50 all time with the White Sox. Here's where their numbers fell.
0: Yeah, well, and, and that's, you know, I think Burley becomes an interesting choice because is, is that just sort of a recency bias where we're looking at going, mm-hmm. you know, he was so much of a fan favorite for so long that, uh, you know, you, you want to throw him in there because he meant so much to, the, to us as fans. But, yeah, I, you know, somebody like Chris Sale, who's obviously got more talent than Burley does as a, in, in terms of his arm talent. But then you also kind of go back and you do get guys like Jack McDowell and Wilson Alvarez who were, you know, really very good for the team in the 90s. And I, you know, I, I wasn't seeing a whole lot of love for, for Blackjack or anybody like that. So uh, you kind of do wonder, like, is Burley in particular just, is he the guy that, you know, we just love him because we love him and not necessarily that he was really that great of a pitcher? Because I think this also gets into his Hall of Fame candidacy too, doesn't it?
1: It depends on, uh, I think it's a very relevant question. I think a lot of it is partially recency bias because of uh, his name being in the news about the Hall of Fame ballots and things like that. I don't want to discount some of what Burley's done in general for the Sox. I mean, he ranks fourth all time in strikeouts for the team, which is something considering it's Burley. Uh, baseball reference, or excuse me, Fangraft wins a replacement. He ranks fifth all time with the White Sox. Wins, he ranks fifth all time with the White Sox. So he has some, t- out, just outside the top five, you can probably make an argument that if you put him in the top five, it's that recency bias. Um, but at the same time, when it comes to the Hall of Fame case, it depends on your definition of a Hall of Famer. I'm someone who likes a larger Hall of Fame. I think consistency is just as important as you, your peak as a player. And, and that's why I think Burley can sit, consistently is going to sit around probably 8 9%, 10% on the ballot and not really go anywhere. But at the same time, I, I think that when you're talking about historical White Sox, you got to think peak and consistency. I think that consistency piece, and if you see some of what fans wrote in, in some of their explanations, the consistency is a big part of it for people. I, I think playing in the game we do today, where 200 innings is a rarity from a pitcher for it to be something that Burley prided himself on doing almost every season is important to White Sox fans.
0: Yeah, and you look at like uh, on Baseball Reference, you look at the similar pitchers to to Burley and you get some guys that I think would potentially break into the top 5 for a lot of franchises. I mean, Oral Hershiser is his fourth highest comp and I think you could Talk to a lot of Dodgers fans and they'd want to put Oral Hershiser up there because of what he did. He got Bob Welch, who was very good for a long time. Catfish Hunter is a guy that, you know, I I think a lot of of his fans would sit there and say, if I'm doing an all-time rotation, I'm going to put Catfish Hunter up there. I think just the idea for Mark Burley that he went out there for, you know, 16 seasons in the majors, and really when you get to – Miami and Toronto, he's still putting up 200 innings. He's still just taking the ball and going out there. He's got good numbers the entire way through. I mean, heck, his last season in 2015, four complete games. Who does that? (laughs) I mean, really. So I, I I do think that there is some recency bias for it, but I really do think that Burley is one of those guys that as time goes on, like if we're having this conversation 50 years from now, first of all, I'm extremely old at that point. But I think, you know, it is something where where fans could sit there and look back at it the way we look back at, at say, Pierce or Lions or something like that and just know that there was was a form of greatness that may not translate to the current game.
1: I, I think there is an element of, you know, the narrative that you can create around Mark Burley and say, you know, like you said, he pitched 16 seasons in the majors. 14 of them he hit 200 innings. One of them he was one out away, or excuse me, four outs away from 200 innings. And then the only other season is his rookie season, where he only started three games. So you that is part of the aura of Mark Burley. And I, I don't know if baseball is ever going to go back to the 200 inning guys. I think you know you might see some swing back in that direction in terms of pendulum, but you're not going to see 14 out of 16 seasons with 200 innings pitched. And I think that's sort of what's going to stay about him. Especially with kind of, especially some of the other names on this list. Walsh, Lions, Pierce, guys who kind of stick, stuck around on these lists. You know, those were some of the teams that had some sort of historic. This is not a White Sox franchise with a lot of storied history in the playoffs. These are guys you can tie back to those moments, more or less. It's not always World Series, but those, those are the types of players that tend to stick around because there's so few of these playoff matchups, World Series games that you hear about these same names so often. That's why I think Burley has that chance of being, you know, 50 years from now, oh, I remember watching Mark Burley and, oh, the game's not the same nowadays, such and such, get off my lawn and all that fun stuff. (laughs) But I I, I think that's part of what made Mark Burley great and I think, you know, if you're going to put him in your top five, maybe it's not the strongest statistical argument for it, but the same could be said as you try and put them in the Hall of Fame, and I call him a Hall of Famer. So it's about the player as a whole, not necessarily just ERA behind it, for example.
0: Well, we do not have baseball right now, and we have cold weather, and we have all sorts of things going on that are not white socks related in the real world but what we do have is we do have places that we can go and relax and 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 have a wee drop of the creature so to speak to uh warm us up on these cold days and i'm talking for us about cork and Kerry and beverly the quintessential irish bar experience in the south side of chicago 10614 southwestern the best irish bar around they've got party rooms when it's not too cold outside you can go and hang out on their outdoor area uh or you can just like i said sideline up to the bar have a pint warm up a little bit and then get back out to the grind or or in the shadow of the ballpark you can have some of the best food around and that's cork and carry the park at 33rd and princeton head on out there get your food eat up have a couple of drinks be ready to roll into the game and then maybe afterwards before you call your ride share you let the traffic clear out, and you have a little bit of a an after-game celebration at Cork and Carry at the park. Again, 33rd and Princeton. Either way, you just can't lose. And, uh, you know, Jordan, I know you're probably looking forward to getting out to pre-gaming before a ball game or getting out to watching some spring training games with people. Uh, but we're stuck, right? We're stuck because we're still in the lockout. We're hearing now that the owners and players who have not spoken since December the deadline basically for the CBA to end they're going to start talking at the end of the month which sounds like it's going to push the season start back and stuff but you know I'm listening to what the issues are and I think there's a key issue here that's going to define for us where the owner's heads are really at because the, it, it, the argument for me is always the owners are worried about making as much of money as they can they don't want to pay the players they want to save every dime they want to scrimp they want to put it in their own pockets But then owners, of course, have to sit there and say, well, no, we want to win. We're in this because we love the game and we want to build a winner. But there's a there's a moment here where players want either a higher minimum salary. They want to match something closer to the NFL or the NBA or even the the NHL uh, because they're behind, especially the NFL. Or they want younger players to be under team control for fewer years. So for me if the owners want to win, they want to control that young talent. If they want to save money, they want to give them the higher minimum salary but are willing to give up less control. So which way do you think the owners will go with this? If you had a guess.
1: I think it probably tends towards an increase in the minimum salary. I just think even if you increase that minimum, I mean it's five hundred thousand now. If we say, or, or the ballpark of five hundred thousand, if we get that closer to a million, does that break? Does that break the bank? Really? Like no, probably not. But but it gives the players a little bit more earlier on in their career. I, I think that if you kind of play it out and draw it out, that sixth year of control or For some players with um, service time manipulation, that seventh year of control really is so valuable, whether it's from an on the field standpoint or from the standpoint we saw with like a Chris Bryant or a Javi Baez where the Cubs traded them, got really good assets in return and capitalized on that value, maybe not in the way the fans wanted, but capitalized on that value. The same is going to go for every team. They're going to see that that value probably outweighs paying the players more earlier upfront, and I think that's the way the league is going to, or the owners are going to want to go. Say, hey, we'll take the upfront cost, knowing that the value is still absolutely there down the line, whether it's the guy's playing for my team or I'm trading the guy for future assets that. I'll pay a league minimum salary too, and then I'll be able to control up to that sixth or seventh year. I think control is their biggest thing.
0: Yeah, and I, I tend to agree with that because I think it if they if they sit there and say we're not really worried about control, we're more worried about uh, you know saving money on the front end with young players. Then it's sort of a backwards thing because if they if they don't raise the minimum salary, and they you know, maintain a longer amount of control, or if they do, main, uh, if they do raise the minimum salary and they don't maintain a longer amount of control, what they're really saying is, is that we'd rather pay free agents, right? We'd rather go out and try and damp down the free agent market and pay less to guys that are on the open market than we would our own players who we've invested in, developed, and, and all of that. So I think, I, I think they want to raise that minimum, because I also do think too that what happens is you're going to be able to get guys to stick around longer who are more fringe players. And I know tanking is a huge issue for the the players as well. They don't like the idea that, well, they don't like what the White Sox did, right? They don't like what Rick Hahn did, trading away as veteran players, not really signing free agents, going with young, unproven guys and trying to build a core that way. And a lot of teams have followed that. The Cubs did it, obviously. But that, I think, if you're if you're talking about you know giving up just a little bit of control, like you said that that last year that value really valuable year, um, you know, or setting it at an age instead of setting it at a service time amount, but giving guys more upfront and saying, okay, you know, you make it to the bigs, you're a millionaire, congratulations. Uh, I I don't know. I I think the I think the ownership at that point makes. Not only more sense for them to do that, but I think it also makes them want to, uh, you know, be able to show that they want to win because they're going to be willing to hold on to their younger players. They're going to be willing to pay guys more. But I also think it's going to it's going to change that whole manipulation piece too. Because if it goes up, you know, if it if it escalates with service time, they're going to want to give up guys that they know they're not going to sign long term, and it's going to help the trade market. Franklin, I think it's also going to help get guys into the majors.
1: You, you know. Along all of these lines, Jeff Passan put out an article this week on ESPN about kind of where everything stands in lockout and kind of put together some of the changes that the players are asking for. And he said a lot of things include earlier free agency, earlier arbitration, changes to the draft system, more money going to younger players, a higher minimum salary, less revenue sharing, these types of things. They're not going to get all of that. And I think, you know, if you focus on kind of what we're talking about here, a minimum salary as well as maybe changes to the draft, for example. Changes to the draft will sort of naturally kind of fix some of the changes or, or some of the tanking issues that, that are prevalent in baseball. You know, if you disincentivize, unless maybe it's of just the top five teams, the worst five teams get the top five picks, and then from there it's reverse order or something like that, you disincentivize it at least a little bit, you move in the right direction. Minimum salary, pays players more early on, You're moving in the right direction. I I think from that standpoint, there are going to be things that they need to give up. And I think if you focus it on one or two key issues and really say, hey, here's the benefit of this. It's better than having the situation where, you know, you're not playing games. The owners are going to be stubborn about this. We saw it in 2020. We're seeing it now in the fact that they're not talking until the end of the month. They're going to be stubborn. You're going to need to pick certain things that you focus on.
0: Yeah, and, and I've I've been a little I, I don't want to say confused by the the issue of tanking as much as um I, I think it's sort of an, a, a misnomer of what the tanking issue really does, because I think what they're what the players are trying to say is and this seems to be agent-driven more maybe than player-driven, but what the players are trying to say is, well, if you guys are out there not signing free agents and not trying to compete with veterans, then you're hurting the game and you're hurting those veteran players who then can't find jobs. But at the same time, there's also the argument to be made that, well, yeah, but this also, these teams that are going through this process where they're not going out and saying, all right, I'm going to put Jed Lowry at second base, even though he's at the tail end of his career. And I know I don't have enough pitching and I know I'm not going to be able to spend enough to find, you know, a full field because some of my young guys aren't performing and things like that. You know, teams have to be realistic at some point, but doesn't that, that, doesn't that help young guys coming up though? Don't, don't we get more guys that get more opportunities? I mean, aren't there guys that were playing for the white Sox that would have never seen the field otherwise?
1: There are. I, I absolutely think they are. And you can make the argument that, you know, should they have ever seen the field is another question, obviously.
0: But <laughs> In some cases, time, no. But...
1: It, it, exactly. In some cases, no. And that's going to happen. But but at the same time, it still gives them that opportunity. You know, it, it's the conversation of, you know, those types of players who probably shouldn't play, but are going to get time, they're going to be able to talk about forever. They'll get to get that minimum salary for at least a little bit. Versus having to pick just, to pay the minor league salary. Is that more beneficial than signing a Jed Lowry type player to just fill a hole at second base until the next top prospect is ready? You know, Jed Lowry type players, veteran type players have had long careers. They've had that chance to make, you know, pretty sizable amounts of money in some cases. Is that better to give them that extra year than the young player who might never get a chance again? Is the difference in wins big enough there? It's it's the argument between, you know, are the two or three wins you're gonna get from replacing a veteran or having a veteran instead of a young guy who probably shouldn't be there, are those worth it compared to giving the young guys their chance to maybe catch lightning in the bottle? And from a dollar standpoint, the, players or the owners are probably going to say, you know, I'm going to go get the young guy and just see what the heck happens. But that on the free agent market will now create less competition, just going to drive the prices back down, which is what players don't want. When, when they're fighting for the players' association, they're talking about those major league players. They're fighting for those guys, not necessarily the minor league guys. They're trying to help improve the game for the minor league guys, but they're not directly advocating for them in these conversations, if that makes
0: sense. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. And if you think about it, you have veteran players that are sitting on the committee. You don't have guys who are necessarily recently called up or, or, you know, have within the past few years that that opportunity where they sat there and said, okay, if this team hadn't been, not you know, hadn't been tanking, hadn't been trying to win with veteran players, I wouldn't have had the opportunity to come up and prove myself when you've had a 10 year career, you're, you're probably looking back on it and going, well, of course I was going to make the majors. It's me, dude. But when you have a guy like Max Scherzer, who's also now the highest annual value for a pitcher ever and is, you know, at the end of his career and has accomplished so much, he really may not be thinking about it in terms of, uh, you know, what happens to the next Charlie Tilson, for example, or, you know, somebody uh, uh, that, you know, got a shot, didn't do anything with it, and is, is back out of, of, you know, the picture, versus somebody like himself who's sitting there saying, yeah, you know what, I really, I'm more concerned about what happens to Clayton Kershaw's, not this contract when he's 32, but the next one when he's 35 or 36, you know, or, or you know, maybe, maybe this contract, if somebody gives him eight years, he's thinking more along those lines. I I, I completely agree with you on that one.
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. It's it's an important thing because the veterans help keep the owners honest, to be be honest with you. It makes sure that the proper amount of revenue is going to go to players. But at the same time, you know, again, when you have a more veteran voice as your leadership and guys leading the MLBPA, both on the player side and um, some guys like Tony Clark who have had baseball careers, you're getting to the standpoint of you're protecting the veterans, and hopefully that kind of helps the minor league players once they get to that point, but it really doesn't do anything for them early on. So it's, it's trying to find that balance It's important that I, I don't think necessarily gets there, but at the same time, the veterans got to keep the owners on it, and that's what keep, should keep things moving.
0: Well, hopefully they will get there, and hopefully we will not have too much of a delay to the season. But uh, if you are hungry for White Sox content, of course, again, Sox on 35th, Sox in the basement, you can come here. And if you want to make an easy $1,000, in the meantime, uh, thanks to our friends Butch Zemar at Elite Benefits of America, where you yourself can go as a small business and get your employees taken care of with all sorts of Great benefits, health insurance, things like that. Butch will take care of you and your business, but he will also take care of giving $1,000 to the person who brings us the best guest in the Sox in the basement, guest bounty. And thus far, we've had David Sampson. Thus far, we've had Liam Hendricks. So the bar has been set pretty high between a former major league executive and the current closer of the White Sox. But if you got somebody, if you want to harass somebody online, that's how David Sampson came to us. If you've got a personal friend, if a former player's number happens to be in your cell phone, hey, give them a call, give them a try. You don't know if you're going to be the one that wins the 1000 bucks. If we haven't had them on before, we'll get them on the show. We'll work on it. We've got a few in the hopper that we're working on setting up right now. We'll have a fan vote. It's not going to be up to us. So you can even you can even try and stuff the ballot box because we live in Chicago, and that's the way. So uh, in, in the meantime, bring us a guest. Give Butch Zimar and Elite Benefits of America a call at 888-535-3006. Or go to elitebenefits.net. With socks on thirty-fifth, Jordan, what's coming up for you guys that people should look forward to uh you know as this show's coming out in the next couple days.
1: Well, first of all, I want to know what the bounty is for when I eventually bring Chris back from whatever uh mission he's on. Hopefully we can find him.
0: Well, I don't know. We'll we'll scrap something together. I don't I don't know if Butch wants Chris back. I, I assume he does, but I don't think he's gonna pay that much for him. You know,
1: it's probably better than zero, but... So, over in Saxon thirty fifth, what we're hoping to have out, uh, probably by the time this episode airs, you know, it's technically been five seasons since U.S. Cellular Field became Guaranteed Rate Field. So, what one of our writers, Tim Moran, went back and did and said, hey, what are some of the top five games, top five moments from the quote-unquote guaranteed rate field era? Just something fun to look back on at a time in baseball when maybe it isn't so much. Uh, with the lockout and not much information there, just taking a little trip down memory lane, kind of what we did with the Sox starting pitchers, uh, Take a little trip down memory lane, have a little fun, and I do want to shout out Javier Vasquez, though. When I put together my list for those starting pitchers, I didn't realize he had three straight, uh, almost five win seasons in terms of fan graph wins about placement for the White Sox. I did not realize he was that solid. He made my top five list for like the past 15 years or so. But as we're taking those trips down memory lane, it's always fun to find those types of guys who uh, feels like kind of got underrated or under the radar a little bit uh, for, for that era.
0: Yeah. Well, and, and you know, that's funny that you bring up Javier Vasquez because, you know, you, you think about memories and you think about stuff that's happened and maybe, maybe not in the best era of White Sox baseball either since they became guaranteed right field. But even before that, going back to Javier Vasquez, what does everybody remember? They remember his failure against the Rays in the 2008 playoffs, right? That's that's the lasting memory of him. And so, yeah, you know, that's that's a curious thing, though, because if you think about it, so the past five years, you have a year that's lost to the pandemic. We, did, we weren't allowed in the ballpark in 2020. Um, you have, you know, some of the leanest years of White Sox baseball in terms of having guys up that, you know, weren't necessarily a long-term part of the team like we were talking about or having some really rough seasons as far as how people performed uh so on our way out though so what what is your favorite guaranteed rate field moment
1: you know it's gonna be an unfair recency bias and and it's the road no hitter and it's because I was there um I I don't think it's something I would have ever gotten or thought I would have gotten to no experience in person um the, the burly no-hitter and perfect game, I had friends and family members in attendance who like just decided to randomly go and got to experience like, history. I, I never thought I'd get there, so to kind of just go on an unsuspecting weekday night and watch a no-hitter, that, that's something that's going to be probably my top memory for quite some time, even, even if it is a little unfair. But.
0: No, and I think that's a good one, and I think you're going to get a lot from 2021 uh you know as as far as as people's favorite memories because how could you how could you not right um yeah and that i think that's a uh that's a good one you know to 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 sit there and sort of say of the past five years what are some of the top moments and you know Rodon's no hitter i mean honestly it has to be towards the top of the list right because it's such it's such an exciting thing to have happen and i don't think you're going to see too many people sitting there going yeah well I remember being in the stands and, uh, you know, uh, Sebi Zavala hit a nice line drive to left field. You know, that was just one of my favorite moments. It just showed that he's got some moxie, that kid. But, uh, on the other hand, I guess some people might sit there and say Sebi's, you know, multi-home run game out of nowhere. That was a pretty fun moment, too. So, Yeah.
1: You know, there, there's always some interesting things that pop up out of nowhere. The Sebi Zavala moment is one of those where, you're like, did he actually just do that type of thing? And those are the fun ones, too, when you look back and especially during the rebuild, just some random fun moments that, you know, most of the fun things are going to come from 2021, but at the same time, there were some fun things along the way that, hey, you know, looking back at it it may not have been the best White Sox baseball, but maybe for one day that was a pretty fun game. So,
0: Well, yep, and I think, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing how that turns out. So check out SoxOn35th.com for that article and more. And then, of course, you can always listen to Sox in the Basement at socks on 35th.com or anywhere podcasts can be heard thank you for joining me today jordan and uh, i know we will look forward to having you back on again real soon
1: absolutely thanks for letting me fill in and uh you know use some of those lawyer skills to get these uh cba negotiations moving like needle yourself in the door there and uh get things moving along for us huh
0: yeah that's just what they need let me let me break into the room and uh and just tell you that uh not only am i a lawyer but i'm a white Sox podcaster so i have all the answers (laughs) socks in the basement socks in the basement